electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. A glimmer of hope. Definitely cooler than expected. Leads to a major reversal. Man, the market's reacting in a big way. Which leads to a stampede on Wall Street. And this is turning out to be a massive day for the bulls. That just didn't stop. There goes the This is Taking Stock on CNBC. A rip higher for stocks. The Dow ends the day up 1,200 points. NASDAQ up 7%. Has inflation peaked? Does this change the Fed, the Fed's path? The questions on investors' minds tonight. But some not waiting for the answer. Look at Amazon, up 12% today as tech and growth outperform. And of course, crypto contagion, the latest on Sam Bankman-Fried's efforts to stave off collapse. Good Thursday evening. I'm Carl Quintanilla. This is a CNBC special, Taking Stock. This hour, we will, in fact, take stock of those headlines moving markets. First, a warning that the bear market is not over. Then, after tech, the second best performing sector today, real estate. The path ahead is those stocks run. And it's not just FTX. The founder CEO has had trouble this week from Elon Musk to Mark Zuckerberg. We're going to look at why the market may, in fact, be turning. First, though, a look at the numbers. Biggest rally in two years. Dow up 1,200. S&P up 5.5%. NASDAQ up 7%. And it was broad. Only one decliner on the Dow 30. Only two on the NAS 100. Only 18 on the S&P. When the Nasdaq jumps like that, you know names like Apple and Google have led the way. As we mentioned, Amazon, a big reversal from its recent struggles. And a good day for your 401k means a good day for companies that manage 401ks. Invesco, the biggest gainer on the S&P, up 18. T. Rowe Price and Franklin Resources also with some big gains. The question now, did markets get ahead of themselves? Is one cool inflation print enough to get the Fed to apply some breaks? Mike Santoli joins us tonight. Mike, it's great to see you. We've talked all day long about where this leads us and how important this will be over the medium to longer term. Yeah, Carl, I mean, a day like today, 5.5% one-day gain in the S&P 500 is rare. And a gain like that really comes more out of accumulated fear than out of enthusiasm. In other words, people were bracing for the possibility of yet another uh, unfriendly inflation number, maybe some kind of a crypto meltdown, a little bit of relief on both fronts. And all of a sudden, the dramatic response, especially in bond yields rushing lower and the U.S. dollar rushing lower, implying that maybe we have the Federal Reserve's destination point in terms of where they want to take rates closer in sight. Now, all of it's very contingent. I think the broader context matters a lot. Uh, the S&P 500 is now back to where it was about two months ago, uh, right before, as a matter of fact, the September Fed meeting. So we've had two huge rate hikes since that point, and the, the market has kind of clawed back to where it was before then. So nothing is necessarily determined based on today. Uh, this is the kind of gain that's a little bit you know, disorderly and excitable to the upside uh, that makes you wonder if it's just another uh, kind of a bounce and short covering and people chasing to capture some of that seasonal uh, strength that we often expect after the election. But uh, I do think it's a it's a net positive and it suggests that uh, that we have discounted a lot with the decline so far uh, before today.
today, year to date? Two, two things tonight, Mike, that I'd love your take on. One was the notion that, yeah, we're getting some goods uh, disinflation, but services inflation will be the concern from here on out. The other was that, let's say it's 50 or 25 basis points from the Fed on the table in December. That in itself leads to a reversal in financial conditions that the Fed does not want to see. Yeah, those are both kind of boundaries on just exactly how enthusiastic you can get right now about where this is headed. Uh, There's no doubt that we're going to need multiple months of inflation numbers to know if services inflation is under control, if the heavy spending uh, in that part of the economy maybe is going to cool off a little bit. And then, yeah, when it comes to what the Fed's response might be or whether they would not really love the fact that markets uh, are starting to loosen up and starting to look past uh, this tightening campaign, I think those are are definitely issues we are probably going to have to contend with, but maybe from higher levels of stock prices. Remember, back in August when uh, the Fed decided that the the markets were getting a little bit too optimistic, uh, the S&P was several percent above where it is right now. I would say about uh, five to seven percent above where it is uh, at the moment. Your thoughts finally, Mike, on uh, valuation and multiples. Even if we run into some headwinds on earnings in 2023, where do you think that we're going to get conversations about a ceiling on PEs going into next year? At the index level, um, you probably have just a little bit of upside in terms of uh, valuations from here, just because the very largest stocks still haven't gotten terribly cheap. But I do think that uh, the main impediment from here on out is not valuation. It's not that most stocks are very expensive. It's that our earnings going to come through. You can make your piece with where markets are trading right now. The average stock in the S&P is well below 15 times earnings still at this point, even if the overall index is well above 16. And just to put a coda on all of this, uh, for those who do you think there's a population of investors who have been looking for an opportunity to get out or an opportunity to get in? And does today's action represent one one on either side? There's no doubt that today was uh, had the hallmarks of people rushing to raise some equity exposures because they got too defensive. Cash levels have been rising in both retail and institutional portfolios. So yes, there is that element out there of people feeling as if they're not participating enough if this market is going to keep grinding higher. Now, there's no doubt about it, though, that we're already up 12 or 14 percent from the lows of October 13th in the S&P. There's there's going to be a muscle memory that says it's been smart to sell every one of these big rallies this year. And I guarantee people are going to go for it. Maybe uh, if if the market goes up, like I said, another four or five percent from here. Mike, appreciate that so much. Good to see you. See you in the morning, uh, Mike Santoli. Uh, Despite the rally today and hopes for a Fed pivot, investor Carl Icahn was on our air just a few hours ago saying not so fast. But I am still very uh, quite bearish on what is going to happen? I, a, a rally like this is, of course, very uh, dramatic, to say the least, very dramatic. But you have them all the time in a bear market, and I still think we're in a bear market. Joining us to discuss tonight, uh, today's big move, Katie Stockton, founder and managing partner of, of Fairly Strategies and a CNBC contributor. Katie, great to see you again. Uh, yeah, any yeah. major changes to your model today? No, you know, it's really a continuation of what we were already seeing, which was positive short-term momentum behind the major indices, but within the context of their downtrend still. So I think what Mr. Icon said was correct in that we are still in store for more to come on the downside. When we do see bear market relief rallies, they tend to be very fast and furious, just like what we've seen 
maybe not a seven and a half percent update in the NASDAQ 100, <laughs> maybe not that extreme, but uh, you know, you do tend to see really fast and furious rallies and they don't end well. Um, so I, I would say to your question to Mike, you know, is it a buy or a sell signal? It's really neither in my work. I think there's more upside, but I think it's still a high risk proposition to be taking counter trend positions in here, especially after such a big run up. I am curious about some of your uh, per- potential downside scenarios on the 10 year yield. Uh, talk about that a bit. Right. So we did see some breakouts in Treasury yields, of course, just within their steep longer term uptrends. And yet beyond that, we saw some signs of upside exhaustion based on our overbought oversold measures specifically for the 10 year. We saw the DeMarc indicators flash some sell signals. Those are counter trend metrics. And they do suggest that we'll see several weeks more of this kind of corrective action in yields. For the 10-year itself, the initial support on the chart is around 3.5%. It went down to about 380 today. And I I would not rule out a deeper decline than that. Maybe it's three and a quarter, but it's still within the context of the long-term uptrend. So you can really apply the reverse of that to the equity market. And it, it really seems that folks are very much in tune right now with the moves in treasury yields and, of course, also the moves in the mega caps as an influence on market sentiment. Right. So what do you think, um, say, a three and a quarter, 10 year does to tech or the NDX? Well, listen, it, it won't hurt it um, in the near term. I think that there's room for a greater oversold bounce or relief rally. We had some signs of downside exhaustion uh, that we've seen really across the board, not just limited to technology in, in particular, but we're looking for that bounce to continue. And yet we'd wait to see these momentum gauges start to falter. And that would be our indication to manage risk again, meaning that we would put hedges back on that we had removed ahead of the, or with, when the low was established, we'd be watching these gauges for sell signals and be very quick to reduce exposure into additional strength, just because it can really turn on a dime, just given the volatility that we're seeing. Right. Are there upside levels you could imagine getting hit that would then prod you to maybe take the safety off once again? Well, we do use resistance levels as gauges of upside potential, and the S&P 500 index got through one today. It was around 39.14 in our work. With another close above that level tomorrow, we would have a short-term confirmed breakout that would then support a test of the 200-day moving average. Of course, a very widely followed level because it was tested in mid-August, and it was right there that it pivoted lower. So it's around 40.82 at this time. We think that's a level that's even surmountable on this relief rally, and yet probably only briefly uh, expecting that sentiment to shift pretty quickly after further contraction and volatility. We're we're also watching as a risk metric, the volatility index or VIX. And when the VIX gets down into the low 20s or so, that's when we're going to start to feel like, you know, here we have um, the potential for a reversal. And we're pretty close to that here. Right. Yeah, that was a topic of discussion today. And then finally, the dollar uh, having come off of the highs of the last couple of months. I wonder what we had euro dollar at one point today, two month high. Um, Do you think that has legs? I do. So the dollar index has been another sort of influence on market sentiment as it pertains to the equity. So we're we're watching it sort of move in tandem with Treasury yields. The dollar index took out some key support this week and has next support around 105. So we are looking for more corrective action there as well. 
but still just an interruption in the prevailing long-term trend. It's usually right to assume that these long-term trends will persist. And if they are reversing, then we'd expect to see, because they are so strong from a long-term momentum perspective, we'd expect to see a bit more of a topping formation in the dollar or a bottoming formation in equities. And that usually takes months to develop. Uh, indeed, it's been, yeah, it's had a barrel full of steam. Uh, Katie, great stuff tonight. Appreciate the help as always. Katie Stockton, great to see of you. Of course. On a day where practically everything went up, housing-related stocks were among the biggest gainers. The Pure Home Builders had a huge day, led by Pulte, finished up 13%. And also the stuff to furnish your home and where you buy it. Lowe's, Home Depot, up 8%. Check out Wayfair, 28% gain. Comes as mortgage rates did take a huge leg lower. Diana Olick has those details for us tonight from Georgetown, Texas. Hi, Diana. Hey, Carl. Yeah, the sell-off in the bond market earlier had a major impact on the mortgage market. Take a look. The average rate on the 30-year fix dropped 60 basis points just today, taking it down again below 7% to 6.62%. That according to Mortgage News Daily. And that is the biggest one-day drop since the start of the pandemic and matches that record. The rate is still more than twice what it was at the start of this year, though, and that has been hitting the home builders hard. Despite today's boost to the stocks, sales are still falling, cancellations are rising, and builders are having to slow construction and offer more concessions. At some point, the interest rates are going to moderate and the housing market is going to come back. At the end of the day, we have a housing shortage. People need a place to live. We're going to be building homes steady as she goes through the downturn and we'll come out the other side and demand will return. But he says it will not slow innovation. And that, in fact, is the reason we're here in Texas talking to Stuart Miller today, because Lennar gave us an exclusive look at the first ever large scale 3D printed housing development. 100 homes being printed here by Icon, which is a 3D printing company for Lennar. These massive printers can build a home three times faster and up to 30 percent cheaper than a traditional home. Miller says he puts innovation in a separate bucket and will continue investing despite the housing downturn because he says it's the best way to solve the housing shortage. These homes are priced in the mid $400,000 range and will go on the market sometime next year. Carl, very cool. I, very fascinating. I wonder when you look at the technology uh, of these 3D homes, uh, do you think that that's going to make a, a meaningful stair step function in supply over time? Uh, and especially given the constraints over on labor? Time. Yeah, well, the thing is that you only need about two to three guys to print one of these homes. So whereas you would normally see about a dozen construction workers out there, you see one guy sitting there with an iPad and another guy just kind of watching. So it really helps that labor situation that you're talking about. Obviously, we're in very early stages, but this is the first time we're seeing it really scalable. And I think as we look down the next couple of years, you're going to see more and more big developments like this. So I do think it is coming down the pike, as they say. Diana, thanks so much. Uh, Diana Olick tonight in Georgetown, Texas. we got a busy hour still ahead, and we're just getting started. Don't go anywhere. Crypto chaos. I'm not surprised that this happened. FTX on the brink as investigators reportedly dig in. There really is no rules, no laws in it. It's like the Wild West. Ahead, the latest on the growing crypto crisis. Plus, Zuckerberg, Bankman Free. They each built multi-billion dollar companies. Why some are now saying founder power has gone too far. And market whiplash. More on today's big moves, plus a look at how volatility is helping and hurting retail investors. This is Taking Stock on CNBC.
We spoke to some of the biggest names on Wall Street today and got their take on the drama in the crypto world. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. I'm not surprised that this happened. There really is no, as far as I'm concerned, no rules, no laws in it. It's like the Wild West. Does it feel illegal? We'll see. It certainly feels immoral. Speaking for all the Bitcoiners, we feel like we're trapped in a dysfunctional relationship with crypto and we want out. Not all companies in crypto are, are like this. And just like the traditional financial system occasionally has a company that goes bad, it is not representative of the whole. And when you give somebody your token, and they go down, you're going to just stand in line at a bankruptcy court. If you're going to have a crypto asset, it needs to be nobody else's liability. You need to have full transparency to it. And um, and that's what Bitcoin is, and that's what FTT was not. It's unbelievably frustrating uh, that, you know, we basically have a, a situation that looks like Theranos. Theranos. Our Kate Rooney has been following the thread all day and joins us with the latest on what continues to be a fascinating and developing story. Kate. That's right, Carl. Uh, Sam Bickman-Fried is now on the hunt for other options now that that Binance deal is off the table. The big focus right now is what's going to happen to investor funds. The crypto company has been gating international withdrawals after facing a liquidity crunch. But data firm Nansen pointed out that FTX was still allowing some people to sell their positions. The crypto company is based in NASA and FTX saying that it uh, said in a tweet today earlier, he said, uh, let's see, FTX here said that they would allow redemptions to comply with Bahamian law. I, it also got a credit facility earlier today from another crypto company called Tron. That has been uh, letting investors redeem a handful of smaller cryptocurrencies on that platform. Sources I'm talking to, Carl, say all of this make, makes things especially murky. It's going to scramble assets and makes an uneven class of depositors, especially if FTX files for bankruptcy. This was a stunning reversal for Sam Bankman-Fried. He and his company had been bailing out others in the, in the industry. I asked Bankman-Fried about that role as a lender of last resort when I spoke to him in August. Here's what he said. It's not going to be good for anyone long term. If we have real pain, if we have like real blowouts and uh, and it's not fair to customers and it's not going to be good for regulation it, like it's not going to be good for anything from a longer term perspective it's just that was what was important for for the ecosystem is what was important for customers and it was what was important for people to be able to operate in the ecosystem without being terrified that unknown unknowns were going to blow them up somehow Carl there's still a lot of unknowns the FTX fallout has rattled Investors this week, Bitcoin rebounded a bit today after falling to near $15,000.
This week, and sources I'm talking to still see bankruptcy as the likely outcome and say a roughly $8 billion hole on FTX's balance sheet is simply too big for any one company to plug, not to mention the risk and the legal liability that any one company would take on if they decided to bail out FTX. Back to you. Kate, there's so many layers tonight. One, obviously, is filling that hole somehow. We don't know how. There's the price action on the currency itself. But then the running theme today, it felt like, from industry players who we heard from, was trying to defend not Bankman-Fried or FTX. In fact, they're quite frustrated with them. But the underlying use case, which they feel now will come under fresh scrutiny and fresh doubt, I wonder if you think that has changed the overall game uh, for, for crypto and blockchain. Yeah, one of the, the talking points from a lot of the believers and evangelists who are still bullish on this technology would say that this was a, an issue of centralized parties, of uh, private companies taking too much risk, and in this case, potentially commingling funds in a way that really was not legal. And uh, that's their argument here, is that the, the underlying technology is still sound, but it's hard to separate those two, and there's very few pure play technology plays unless you go out and buy Bitcoin and hold it off of an exchange. And so I think it's eroding a lot of trust there. I think that's some of the frustration with executives that run U.S.-based compliant companies who say, hey, guys, we've been following the rules here, but there's a lot of offshore companies that haven't. So you're hearing a lot of frustration from Sam Bankman-Fried's peers and he really was seen as one of the more credible faces of crypto, and if not for consumer protection, really the poster child for trying to bail people out. And what he said was really keeping customer assets safe was the bottom line. So it's ironic that it's coming back and that he's really now on the other side of all this, yeah. Carl. Uh, a Twitter chain this morning that we'll be talking about uh, maybe for years. We'll see. Uh, thanks, Kate. Kate Rooney tonight. Bankman Fried is not the only company founder having a bad week. Yesterday, Mark Zuckerberg announced Meta is laying off more than 11,000 employees. And despite today's big move, Tesla is down 46% this year as Elon Musk appears to be focused on his chaotic Twitter takeover. It was once conventional wisdom that founders care about the long-term health of their business. But without checks on their power, could their egos be doing more harm than good for their companies? To answer that question, let's bring in Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, Senior Associate Dean for Leadership Studies at the Yale School of Management. Jeff, it's great to see you tonight. Thanks for the time. Let's begin with Bankman-Fried, because he did apologize in that Twitter chain for taking on too much risk. But did he need someone there to rein him in somehow? Uh, he desperately needed somebody to rein him in. And I, <clears throat> I think your discussion up front is exactly right, that there are strategic issues to wonder about. As you guys were just talking about this pileup of mergers, there's, I don't think there's a, a single uh, viewer right now that could list even half the companies that he bought at distressed prices to try to bail out the, the 40 different companies he slammed together. But who was asking the questions about what he was buying into? In fact, does anybody know who on his, on his board? Yeah, we all know who's on his board. Just him. <laughs> uh, it's, it is astounding that there's no pushback when you have, I don't know, Carl SoftBank, you have uh, Tiger Global, Tomasic Holdings out of Singapore, the, 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 the Sovereign Wealth Fund, BlackRock, Lightspeed, a rabbit capital race, a, a Tom Brady, even Coinbase. And how could they invest in here and not have a single voice on their board to ask where their investment has gone? So, yeah, there's nobody asking questions, nobody providing guardrails. And I bet nobody even knows who the accounting firm is because it isn't one of the top four or the top five right. or the top six. I think it could be Prager Metis or somebody. But, you know, it's not somebody that we're familiar with that would have dug out these right. related party transactions and the... That, that mega culpa. Yes. Uh, wow. 
Um, we heard Mike Novogratz make that mention of Theranos, so we want to be very careful about this, obviously. But does the, the, the credibility of investors in the FTX case remind you of the credibility of investors that had been in Theranos? It, it reminds very much. The thing that's better about Theranos, there was once a scientific board and they all resigned en masse, and then it became a celebrity board. So one of the, the dangers of, of Theranos and many others is when you see a, a celebrity board of marquee names. In this case, we don't even have that of uh, you know of the marquee names to give us a, a false sense of reassurance. Here, there was there was nobody there. At least Theranos, we had some people who were not diligent. Uh, you can imagine that there are lawyers going crazy tonight with those that Maya Culpa that he also you know misused uh, his own customers' funds. Uh, the uh, the related party transaction with uh, with Alameda, which is his own trading platform that he he built uh, the company out of, is uh, is pretty egregious. And by saying, "Oops, sorry," uh, that's that's really that's really not quite enough. And uh, I think it's 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 really uh, it's it, it's really alarming. And you, you hope he's got good lawyers. Right. Let's turn to Zuckerberg. Obviously, we've talked about the pivot to the metaverse and his insistence on this being a long term goal. There, Jeff, there are other board members, but obviously they don't have the power as Zuckerberg does. Uh, no, they don't. And that's another pathology that you see with um, when founders flounder is that you sometimes have a board that's just so enraptured with how do you manage genius? And without a doubt, you know, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried is a genius. And, and, uh, and of course, Mark Zuckerberg is a, is a genius. But what was hard uh, uh, is that um, somebody has to be able to put the brakes on them and ask them questions. But when they develop one of these emperor for life models, and Zuckerberg you know, learned this directly from Steve Jobs, that many people, or at least some people, criticized the, the dismissal of Steve Jobs early on. Larry Ellison was, of course, cr complained about that as the, the dumbest thing that Apple ever did. Well, I don't know. Steve Jobs came back. I knew him in the in-between period. He came back a much better leader than he was first round through. And it was appropriate probably to have fired him and probably to have given, given him a new chance, obviously. Uh, but uh, you've you know, that so many of them learned that they want to structure a deal like Zuckerberg did, like, uh, uh, you know, the kind of deal Xi Jinping got from China recently to be emperor for life. Then you really don't have accountability. Right. Elon Musk. Uh, obviously, his attention's divided. A lot of reports tonight about more employee exits at Twitter. FTC's now got them uh, on their radar as they are uh, enforcing this consent decree from May. What do you think is the situation there? For example, today, Webbush took the stock of Tesla off their best ideas list because they think reputational damage is now being done to Tesla because of the Twitter annex. I, I can tell you that uh, a lot of young recruit MBAs are nervous about taking jobs in part of that portfolio. As we as we move to Elon Musk and from Zuckerberg to Musk, now we're talking about the big bucks is that all Sam Bankman-Fried lost was a mere $20 billion. <laughs> kind of be a bad day for me, but I know a lot of your viewers, that's not a big deal. $20 billion loss. But Zuckerberg lost $100 billion and Musk lost $100 billion now in, in this uh, his 46% uh, decline. And once again, You've got some big investors that have have gone into this with him in uh, in the Twitter deal. We have you know, you know uh, Brookfield and Larry Ellison and Fidelity and uh, you know what are they? These uh, Jack Dorsey. They also didn't take a single voice, a single seat on a board. How, there's no breaks there. There's nobody looking at that. And and in Musk's case, you're dividing him over over six companies. Let's say he works a 10, 12 hour day. That means uh, in a seven-day week, which you know he doesn't because he's clowning around so much of the time. But let's just say he's working a 70, 80-hour week. 
That means he's working less than an hour, an hour and a half per day in each one of his six companies. Right. The boring company, what have they done? You know, where's that tunnel from Los Angeles to Las Vegas? The boring company has lived up to its name. I don't know what else they've done <laughs> other than that. Does, does any of this make you want to invest in founder-led companies less you know, if the founder-led company has great governance, because obviously we have seen that uh, that the entrepreneur, we, you don't have to read Schumpeter to know that the great triumph of, of American capitalism has been people that are creating something fresh. Michael Dell is not like this. Michael Dell, uh, Jeff Bezos, they're very different characters, though, too. I know them both pretty well, They're, they're especially Michael Dell. He would always build in critics. He, he had a culture of self-criticism, despite what some people might think uh, uh, Bezos did, too. And obviously, they both, uh, in, 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 in the case of what we saw at Amazon, is Jeff Bezos built in a very strong successor. Andy Jassy actually built the AWS business from scratch as a very young guy been with him for for you know a quarter of a century as you can see when they build in those sort of the sort of checks and balances that you have a board that watches out for mission creep uh, and and a board that has expertise in the industry just not a bunch of celebrities but yeah you could start to it's not crazy to talk about Theranos or WeWork or or Groupon or or MySpace or WebMD or Napster uh, so many companies that fall off the off the cliff because they didn't have uh, proper governance. They didn't figure out how do you get the best of a genius? Sure, we're better off with, with uh, Elon Musk in, in this world uh, as we are better off you know, with Mark Zuckerberg, but they can't be uh, alone. They have to be managed, they have to be guided, and they have to have a board that can, that can help them uh, get, get the best out of themselves right. and not let them develop this imperial sense of invincibility so that they get into these crazy mission creep things. I think, um, what uh, Meta spent forty-six billion dollars, and they're they're way off. They're not even half the users that they had predicted uh, by now. They're, yep. they're and uh, they they're, they're plunged a market value at eighty percent. That's that's a pretty yep. pretty poor performance. Yeah, streets trying to make make their voice heard on some of that operating expense. Jeffrey, thanks so much. Great to see you, Jeff Sonnenfeld tonight. Our thanks. We're going to look at stocks that could be tomorrow's leaders coming up next. Shares of Toast are popping up after hours. And the Nasdaq, as you know, soaring 7%. Chips and the cloud with big gains. We're going to dig into today's tech winners when our CNBC special, Taking Stock, comes back after this. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Welcome back to Taking Stock here on CNBC. I'm Carl Quintanilla, live at CNBC Global Headquarters. Let's kick off this half hour checking today's market action and what became a massive relief rally. The major indexes posting their best day in more than two years. The Dow up 1,200 points, S&P up more than 5.5%, NASDAQ more than 7% higher. There are a few names making moves after hours. Shares of software company Toast are on a tear after the company reported a smaller-than-expected loss and raised its full-year guidance. Another software stock soaring in extended trading is Doximity, the health tech company beating estimates on the top and the bottom line, also authorizing a new buyback plan. But on the downside, Aurora Cannabis, the stock slipping in after-hours trade on weak results, earnings in line, but revenue did fall short. 
on the best day for stocks since early 2020. The Nasdaq was the clear outperformer. Our Christina Partsinevelos has some stocks that led the way. Hi, Christina. Hi, Carl. I got to say, what a relief, right? Prices are high, but not as high as we feared. So once that CPI report actually hit the tape this morning, we saw borrowing costs, a.k.a. Treasury yields fall, and the U.S. dollar index hit a seven-year low. Even if a Fed pause is still a long way out, those factors, along with algorithms and short selling, help drive the Nasdaq over 7% higher today. You've got behemoths like Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Apple adding over half a trillion dollars in market cap today alone. Even Meta climbing over 10% driven by cost cuts or 11,000 job cuts. Only two biotech names closing in the red on the NASDAQ 100. That would be CGen as well as Regeneron. Two sectors though stood out in tech today. That was chips and the cloud. The cloud computing ETF WCLD closed over 13% higher today. It's best day ever, but ever since 2019, since its inception, with more than half of its constituents up 10% or more like Cloudflare and Wix.com, and none of them were in the red. And the second theme, chips seeing the biggest turnaround on the heels of Taiwan Semiconductor posting its second highest monthly sales numbers in October, and ASML closing about 4% higher after upgrading its 2025 forecast and announcing a new buyback program. So we laid out all the good news here, Carl, but year to date, NASDAQ still down 20, 30% now. Christina, thank you. Yeah, pretty incredible moves all year long. It's been a wild week for stocks. Take a look at the volatility index, or the VIX, as we call it sometimes, down from the mid-30s not long ago to below 24. How does all of this volatility play in your investing playbook? Let's bring in former TD Ameritrade CEO Joe Moglia talk about today's action. Joe, great to see you again. Hi, Carl. How are you? I'm good. So what do you think? Was today um, enough of an attention-getter on the retail front? Well, I think it was. I, I think almost every day is. I think what happened is everybody was expecting a, a real uh, red wave to be able to happen. I think that's part of the reason why the markets have been doing pretty well. And then yesterday they got cracked because it looked like that wasn't the case. And then everybody started to worry about that. Then the reality is, no matter what's going to happen with regard to the elections, what's really going to matter over time is going to be what happens with CPI and the Fed and interest rates. So today, this was the best CPI number we've had in a long, long, long time. And obviously, the markets did great. It was an exciting day. Everybody was happy about that. But I think we've got to make sure there's a dose of reality here. First of all, CPI number was only one number. It was only one number. <laughs> and, and secondly, uh, the Fed has made it very, very clear that their real commitment to this is that they're worried about in, uh, inflation being embedded long term in the economy. And that's going to be a much greater problem than we have today. And they've made it clear that they're committed to that. Then on top of that, You've got, you know, we've got, we've got stuff going on around the world. Uh, Europe's going through the worst problems they've had in decades. You got a war going on. Russia, I don't know if anybody's surprised by this, but they don't like us. You've got China that I think would rather do something with Russia than do something with us. Then you've got Canada that's got eight to ten percent inflation. Then you've got North Korea that's shooting missiles at South Korea, and South Korea is shooting it back like they're eleven years old. So there's enough stuff going on in the world, in a world and economy that's globally interdependent, that we're not out of the woods yet, but today felt like a great day. Right. So either something's going to break, it sounds like in your view, or we're going to climb this this wall of worry on and on. But you you still have a recessionary view for the coming year, don't you? Yeah, I do. No, I think with all things that I said, I think we only look at what we, first of all, one good number. The Fed's still going to tighten. We still have interest rates going. We still have interest interest rates going up. We still have inflation. 
We're going to have a recession. All those things are there. Now, if the data starts to come in on a regular basis over the span of the next one, two, three, four months, we could be very well headed in the right direction. But that just hasn't happened yet. And if people become too euphoric because they've been been, been uh, uh, uncomfortable with the kind of the world we've been living in and the markets over the last year or so, uh, they could be making bad mistakes and they're not thoughtful about that. They've got to be disciplined. Right. Now, you've mentioned a lot of things that have gone wrong uh, for the global economy and the markets so far this year. But prices have sort of reflected that. And I wonder if you think the average person with a 401k is going to be advised in the coming months, look, you're not going to you're not going to tap the absolute bottom of the market, but it might be smart to start legging in if, in fact, we have a mild recession, a moderate recession or even a soft landing. I think that's the right device to be able to give the individual investor. I think if you're kind of you're an active long-term investor, so you want to have a base position in the different things that you want. And again, if you don't know what you're doing, you should be in index funds. But then as the market really does rally, it's just prudent discipline to be able to trim some. And then when the market cracks, it would make sense to take some of that and put that back in the market. You can dial cost average on the on the downside. And when things are going well, you trim at the top a bit. Now, again, you don't know where those numbers are. That's why you trim as you're going up and you buy as you're going down. And there's probably 30 or 40 points in there where you probably just sit still and, and uh, go have something good to eat. <laughs> hey, finally, Joe, you know, one thing that's been curious to us has been, you know, in past cycles, and we've been through a bunch together, uh, yeah. asset prices come down and households retrench. But because yeah. of the whatever excess savings during the pandemic or whatever, people still have money to travel. They still have money to go out. And I just wonder, where do you think that wealth effect that we saw in prior downturns, where was it? Where is it this time? Well, I think, you, you know, I pay attention to you guys all day long. And uh, whenever you have somebody on that talks about getting on a plane, they say that the plane's full. So you have Marriott and different people on, and they say the hotels are full. So people are doing things. But I think it's over a matter of time, though. At some point in time, that starts to really hurt you. Uh, Diana talked earlier about the concern that she has with regard to housing. It, it, three to six months from now, housing prices could be very, very different than where they are today. At some point, that really becomes painful. Now, I do think, and I feel strongly about this. 70% of our country are, are certainly middle America. And within that, you've got a lower group and a higher group as far as econ economic wherewithal goes. And I think a lot of people are feeling that pain already. They're not the people that can afford to take an airplane mm -hmm. ride. They're not the people that can afford to get to, to go to some resort or go on a Norwegian cruise, cruise, uh, cruise line. But eventually, this is going to have an impact on the vast majority of our country. And that's why everybody's concerned about a recession. I think everybody keeps pointing fingers at everybody else. And at the end of the day, you can be an executive, but that doesn't mean you're a real leader. And I, frankly, and it makes me very sad, but you know, I, I've not seen our country over the span of the last several years more divided than what it is today. And I think we've got to do a better job step, stepping up as leaders, take a responsible, responsibility for what's going on, treat others with dignity and respect, and we'll figure this out. But right now, I think everybody's kind of blaming everybody else. Yeah, uh, it's good context and a good gut check from you, Joe. Appreciate it as always. Good to see you again. Joe Moglia. We got a lot more ahead on taking stock. Stay with us. Battling fake profiles on Twitter, the celebrities and companies targeted, plus how it could impact investors and the world of sports betting. And inflation cooling, stocks heating up. A look ahead at what investors need to know before tomorrow's trading session. This is Taking Stock on CNBC.
Elon Musk told Twitter employees today bankruptcy is not out of the question. That's according to the managing editor of tech newsletter Platformer. And it comes as Twitter battling a wave of celebrity and corporate impersonators on its platform. Yesterday, the company suspended a fake Nintendo account after it posted an image of Mario making an unkind hand gesture. Another example, Eli Lilly, a fake account announced that insulin is free now. Wasn't true, of course. Impersonators also causing chaos in the sports world. A Twitter user created a profile masquerading as ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter. The fake account falsely reported the Las Vegas Raiders had fired head coach Josh McDaniels. And there's this fake LeBron James account, which falsely claimed the basketball star had requested a trade. The wave of fake profiles comes as Twitter rolls out its new Twitter Blue subscription service. Costs $8 a month. It allows users to buy a blue check mark for their profiles without providing proof of identity. Critics argue these bad actors could spread disinformation, which might affect financial markets and perhaps sports betting. Coming up, we're going to get you caught up on some of the other headlines in the news, including another hurricane wrecking travel plans in the southeast. And after a massive rally for stocks today, what can the markets do for an encore tomorrow? The CNBC special taking stock. We'll be right back. Let's get to some headlines trending on CNBC.com. Hurricane Nicole hit Florida's east coast early this morning as a Category 1 hurricane, leading to widespread power outages and major flooding. Two people have died after being electrocuted by a downed power line in Orange County, according to the sheriff's office. The storm is expected to continue to lose strength as it heads toward the Florida panhandle. Not going home for the holidays this year? You're not alone. New data released today by Adobe shows consumers have booked fewer flights for Thanksgiving week than they did three years ago. Domestic bookings are down 7% from the same point in 2019, but high ticket prices have translated to a 3% increase in revenue. Adobe says the slowdown in bookings could indicate some consumers are waiting for those ticket prices to come down. And Keurig Dr. Pepper today said that CEO Ozan Dokmesholu agreed to resign after violating the company's code of conduct. The beverage giant said the violations were not related to its strategy, operations, or financial reporting. The company has reappointed former CEO Bob Gamgord as CEO, and we'll see how that story develops. Still ahead, the CPI number kicked off that massive day on Wall Street today, but it's only one number. Is that enough to slow the Fed and keep this rally going? A CNBC special report taking stock continues after this. Welcome back to Taking Stock on CNBC. Today's massive relief rally has investors wondering whether the market can keep building on its gains or will this newfound optimism be short-lived. Let's take a look at the futures here. Pre-market trading just opened, and so far you can see some green arrows as the trading in Asia is going to be on the positive side. Let's talk about what we might see tomorrow with Delano Sapporo, founder and CEO of New Street Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Great to see you again. You have been pretty patient waiting for a moment. I wonder if you thought today was uh, was the beginning of one. Hey, Carl, great to see you as well. You know, I think, you know, today obviously was a wild, wild trade day, a massive rally. Um, you know, investors were looking for some positive news, and we got a little bit of that positive news when it looks like we have obviously core headline CPI numbers, you know, lower than expected. So so that was, you know, a positive news for the market. Now, you know, looking forward, I, I don't think we can get too exuberant yet. Um, I think there's still things on the pipeline that have to materialize for investors to think that this is actually a, a rally that can sustain um, in, in this current bear market. We have, you know, some 
PMI numbers that will obviously, obviously come out. We also have, you know, job numbers. We still have a very tight job market. Um, and that's something the Fed has pinpointed as one of the data points that they're going to be looking at. So, you know, the exuberance, uh, I kind of missed, you know, m- many investors probably missed this one day rally. If you're being cautious, that's okay, mm. uh, because there's still more to be seen. Right. You know, earlier in the year, we had a lot of discussions about bloated inventories. And sure enough, goods got a little bit less expensive this time around. Now we're talking about corporate layoffs. And I wonder if you think that is also down the road going to result in a cooler labor market and maybe some relief on that front in CPI. Yes, 100%. Of course, you know, that, that would translate to that. And, and I think the one area where it translates is, of course, demand. You're seeing, you know, with corporate earnings in our Q3 earnings, which was obviously negative year over year again this uh, this past quarter, that companies were guiding that met, that got, that demand was down um, and their, their forecast is that demand would also be down in the next couple of quarters. And so when you have that coupled with, you know, what we're seeing in some of the, obviously some of the inflation numbers, we are seeing trends that are positive. Um, have we gotten to the areas where the target is for the Fed? I don't, we obviously haven't gotten there yet and there's still ways to go, but there are positive trends for, for investors to hold on to. We spent a lot of the hour tonight talking about crypto, obviously much of the day as well. To you, does it feel like a very intense fire, but one that's in another room and separated uh, by a firewall? Or is there enough margin call risk that maybe it could have some impact long term on stocks? Yeah, you know, I think that there's some contagion there. There is a little bit, especially if you look at just this overall sentiment, especially within younger investors, um, when you're seeing bigger firms, firms that, you know, have $32 billion valuations in the private market go under in a matter of a couple of days, um, that's going to, you know, change sentiment a bit, especially not just in the crypto markets, but I think generally um, in, in growth areas as well in the stock market. So um, that contagion is going to have selling pressure for sure um, in the crypto market going forward. And I think the sentiment has changed. I, a long-term bullish, um, I think it makes the, the big players, the two big players, if you look at Bitcoin and Ether, stand out a little bit more in this area um, to me um, specifically. And, you know, just in general, I think, you know, investors, we saw a lot of over leveraging and different things happen in 2021. That is a lot of that bearing to fruit now in 2022. And, and that's, you know, uh, unfortunate. Right. Finally, uh, staples for the quarter are beating consumer discretionary by like 16 percent. And I wonder, are you still in staples or do you want to take a flyer on more growth areas? So, yep, still in staples, obviously overweight on on growth. Um, All investors should have, you know, a diversified portfolio. And, and, you know, you're going to get those areas when times like this will perform relatively better. And, And that's good for people that are over overly overweight in staples. And that's something that, you know, you're seeing here in 2022. Delano, great to see you. I'm sure we'll be talking in the days ahead as this market keeps getting more and more interesting all the time. Uh, Delano Sapporo of New Street. Before we go tonight, we do want to mention that tomorrow is Veterans Day and there will be a moment of silence before the bell at the New York Stock Exchange. Stock markets open, but the bond market and the post office, by the way, are closed. And by the way, our thanks, as always, to those who serve. We will see you at 9 a.m. Eastern on Squawk on the Street. That does it for our CNBC special, Taking Stock. Thanks for watching. Shark Tank is coming up next. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. 
the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.